I don't know if you noticed it or not, but not only did I pick those three songs to be easy for us, 603, 604, 605, but you notice all three of those songs talk about heaven. Uh, when we all get to heaven, in the sweet by and by, shall we gather at the river? One of these days, y'all, we're going to go there. And we're going to be there. And that's just, I like singing about heaven because I like singing about where I'm going to go. I like thinking about where I'm going to go. Uh, how many of y'all, when you get ready to go on vacation, you get on the computer maybe and look at pictures where you go look at the pictures of the beach or look at the pictures of the mountains or pictures of wherever it is you're going to go uh, just so we can start thinking about where we're going and where we're headed. As Christians, we need to be thinking more and more about heaven because that uh, that's where we're headed. That's our final destination. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, but we're not going to get all that covered this morning. We're going to probably stop this morning at verse 6, but we're going to read verse through verse 9 to get the context of the paragraph. Philippians 3, beginning at verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but to you it is safe. Beware of dogs because of evil, or beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were to gain to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost, for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And as we read that paragraph, two words stick out at me. They, they just jump out at me and they both start with the letter D. One of them is in verse 2 when he calls some people dogs. And then in verse 9, or verse 8 rather, he uses the word dung. So dog and dung stick out at me when I read those paragraphs. Now today, we're just going to talk about the dogs. Next week, we'll talk about the dung. But when you look at both of those words, uh, and by the way, that word dung, uh, our versions, more modern versions, have cleaned that up a little bit. They call it rubbish. But what Paul has in mind there is indeed dung. Uh, and we'll talk about why that is next week. But today we're going to talk about the dogs. But before we do, I want to set a picture in your mind to kind of take us where we're going to go today in this message. Imagine you get your paycheck and you take it to the bank and you deposit it. 
And you do that every week for a month. You make your deposits every payday. And not only that, during the month, you are able to pick up a few side gigs. You're able maybe to mow someone's grass. You take that money and you deposit it into your bank account. Maybe you're able to clean someone's house. So you take that money and you put it in the bank account. Maybe you can fix somebody's car or something. So you take that money and put it in the bank account. And you look at your bank balance. You say, well, I have a nice, healthy bank balance. And when you get your bank statement, you open it up to uh, balance your bank statements. Y'all remember we used to do that? when we used to reconcile bank statements. So you get ready to reconcile your bank statement, and you discover when you open the bank statement that instead of crediting you for deposits, every deposit that you put in the bank, the bank charged you a debit. So instead of depositing $500 for this paycheck and $300 for this and $400 for that, they've actually debited your account all that amount. So instead of having this nice positive balance, you've got a big negative balance. You find out that you are overdrawn. You thought you had made a profit, but you found out that it was all loss. Now as bad as that would be financially and physically, let's make that same illustration and let's bring it to spiritual things. You spend however many years of your life doing things that you think are profitable things, doing things that you think are positive things, and you've made this deposit, you've made that deposit, and, and you think you've got a nice, healthy, positive, profitable life. You've spent that here on earth. But you die, and you get in front of the Lord at His judgment seat, and He says, Depart from me, I never knew you. And you say, well, Lord, we did this and we did that. And Jesus says, yes, but you didn't know me, and I never knew you. We think we've made a profit, but we've got a loss. P&L. When I ran restaurants, I used to teach new managers how to read profit and loss statements. And I told them, don't make it complicated. P is good, L is bad. And if you can manage in the restaurant business, if you can manage your food costs, and you can manage your labor cost, you'll have profit. But we have a spiritual profit and loss sheet as well. And that's what Paul discusses here in this chapter of Philippians. Those things that we have in our lives that we think may be profitable, but actually are lost. Those things that will lead to us at judgment, at the judgment seat of Christ, as a loss. So that's what Paul's writing about, and that's what we're going to dig in today as we start looking at spiritual P&Ls, spiritual profit and loss. And the way Paul begins this uh, chapter, and once again, Paul didn't put in the chapter markings and the verse markings. Paul wrote this as one letter to the Philippians, and this paragraph, Paul starts out by giving two commands. And the first command is found in verse 2 when he tells us there are three types of people we need to watch out for. The first command he gives us is to beware or to watch out. And the first thing that he says is to beware of dogs. Now when Paul says here beware of dogs, he's not talking about Labradors. 
And he's not talking about poodles. And he's talk, not talking about little fluffy at home. That, that you, He's not telling you to beware of that kind of dog. He's telling you to beware of wild dogs. Those, what he is comparing these people to, and actually this is one group of people that Paul describes three different ways. But he says, you beware of these scavengers that will bite and devour and they look for weakness. Have you ever, being out in rural areas, you probably have. Have you seen the damage that a pack of wild dogs can do to pets? They can do to livestock? They can do to your land? Just a, a pack of wild dogs are dangerous. Uh, they're dangerous to your dogs. They're dangerous to your cats. Uh, and Paul is saying... There's a group of people that are just like these dogs. And we need to watch out for them. We need to, to be careful who they are. Now in this situation, Paul is telling them that there's a group of Jews. And Paul is making this very personal, by the way. The Jews, when they talked about a Gentile, they called them dogs. If uh, Marie and I were going to have, a, if we were Jews and we were in Jesus' day and we had a conversation, she, she'll come up to me and she'll say, honey, how was your day? And I'll say, well, honey, I went to Kroger's and let me tell you what, that place was full of dogs. Now, that doesn't mean it's full of German shepherds. It meant it's full of Gentiles. And that's the way they looked at these people. They, they looked at them as dogs. Now, the Gentiles sometimes will call the Jews dogs. And I think the reason that they did that is kind of like, have you ever had somebody call you a name? And uh, what, what we used to say was, somebody would say, uh, you're a chicken, and you might say, well, I am, but so are you. <laughs> now, well, you're a chicken. You know, you know how kids do. So that's what the Gentiles will do. Yeah, we might be dogs, but you're a dog too. So they called each other dogs. And there's a specific reason why Paul is trying to do this. What these Jews were doing, they're saying that you Gentiles, it's a good idea, and we're glad that you know Jesus. We are glad that Jesus has saved you. But you need to be circumcised. You need to keep the Jewish laws. You can't be a Gentile and just be a Gentile and be saved. You need something else. You're not a real Christian. The problem was these Jews were trying to keep their superiority intact. See, they had been God's people for thousands of years. If you were going to have a relationship with Jehovah God, you had to go through Abraham and through that line of people. And now all of a sudden, God has opened up salvation to the Gentiles. Because of the Jews' rejection of their Messiah, the Gentiles now have an opportunity to come to Christ. And so Paul and his missionary journey is focused on Gentiles. And these Jews would follow Paul around from city to city, stirring up problems with these Gentiles, saying, you guys have to be circumcised. You guys have to be Jews. It got so bad that they had to call a council together. Uh, they had a business meeting, if, if we would put it in our words. In Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council where the, the apostles had to say, no, the, the Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. The Gentiles don't have to become Jews in order to go to heaven. They basically said, Jesus is enough. But that didn't settle the problem 
these Jews kept stirring up trouble. And they kept trying to discourage these Gentiles by telling them they weren't real Christians. They weren't totally right in God's sight because they weren't keeping the law. In other words, they said, Jesus isn't enough. You need Jesus, but you need the Jewish law too. You need Jesus, but you need circumcision. You need Jesus, but you need the sacrifices. You need Jesus, but you need the feast days. Now let's jump that to 2020. Let me tell you that any time somebody tells you that they have a perfected type of Christianity, my kind of Christianity is better than this person's kind of Christianity. Beware of that person. Watch out for that person. That's the kind of person Paul is talking about and calls them a dog. You know, cults and false teachers, they have a lot of charts. And they have a lot of diagrams. They have a lot of books. And they have a lot of theological things. But you notice something that, and maybe you've noticed this as well, what a lot of these cults and these judgmental type Christian people have, one thing they lack is joy. Have you ever seen any of them that are happy? Have you ever seen any of them say, good job, brother, you're, you, I appreciate what you're doing. It's usually along the line, you know, brother, you're doing this, but you ought to be doing this, and, and you ought to be doing that, and you ought to be doing all of this. Notice now, if you would, in chapter 3 of Philippians, what Paul says in verse 1, before he talks about the dogs, he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice. Be happy. Now, it's funny to me, Paul was a Baptist preacher. You know how I know that? Because he uses the word finally, then he goes on for 44 more verses. He says finally, but he really doesn't mean it. But he says, finally, brethren, rejoice. And he says, I've written you this before. And he says, to write the same things to you, to me indeed it's not grievous, but for you it's safe. Paul says, we've talked about this before. We've discussed this before. As a matter of fact, he talks about it in chapter 1 a couple of times. He talks about it in chapter 2, in chapter 3, and in chapter 4. Rejoice. Be happy. And notice the source of our joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now these guys that Paul calling dogs, they're going to say you rejoice in the fact that you've got all the doctrine right. Rejoice in the fact you've been circumcised. Rejoice in the fact you've kept the old law. Today it would look something like rejoice in the fact you've been baptized. Rejoice in the fact that you meet in a church building. Rejoice in the fact you have Baptist church in your sign. Rejoice in this fact. Rejoice in that fact. Paul says rejoice in who? The Lord. The Lord, the Lord is the foundation of our emotions. Not our circumstances. Not our situation. Not the things that come our way. How much of our life do we spend reacting to things that happen to us? How much of our life do we spend in reaction rather than proaction? 
Now I know there are things that come up in our lives that we can't help. If a big hailstorm comes along and knocks my windshield out, that's out of my control. If a tornado comes and blows a tree down on the house, that's out of our control. If we get strep throat, that's out of our control. If your husband gets stupid, it's out of your control. Right? If your kids go crazy, it's out of your control. There are a lot of things that happen to us that are out of our control. But you know what? There's an awful lot of things in our life that happens to us. Just because we haven't been proactive. We don't have a plan. And that's a whole different... That was what the pondering was about today. But we do just like every day. We, we, we put on our catcher's mitt. We put on our catcher's mask. We put on our chest protector. And say, okay, life, come on. I'm ready. And we're ready to... But then our mood depends upon what life throws at us. If life throws at me a banana split... That's pretty cool, right? The other day somebody put on Facebook something that totally wrecked banana splits for me forever. They made banana splits out of yogurt. And instead of putting the good syrup and things on it, they put like seeds. And, and I, I, I'm sorry, that's not a banana split. But somebody throws a banana split at you, that's a pretty good thing, right? If life throws that at you, boy, you'll catch that right in the catcher's mitt. And you'll rejoice in that banana split. Look, God's blessed me with a banana split. But then you get to work. And you check your emails. People at work are saying, they'll say, how are you doing today? I'll say, I'm doing fine, but I had not checked my emails yet. <laughs> because in your email, your boss might send you an email that says, you need to do this job or you need to do that job. And and you say, well, that, I thought Bob was doing that job. Well, Bob was doing that job. Bob didn't do it. You do a really good job, so you're going to get to do that job. See, that's the way those of you that are just starting in the workforce or you haven't worked very long, that's the way work works. If you learn to do your job, you get to do five other people's jobs too. But we don't rejoice in that, do we? We say, oh, my goodness, I have so much to do. Oh, my goodness, this is going bad. And then... We get home and we check our email, or we check our real mail. And the first envelope we come to, it's a card saying, you know what, I was thinking about you today. You Just keep on going, you have a good day. We think, we rejoice in that. Somebody was thinking of me, hallelujah. And then you open up the electric bill. <laughs> and we're not so rejoicing over that. See what Paul's saying? He says, you rejoice in the Lord. When you get your electric bill, you know what you do? You say, praise the Lord. The Lord's blessed me with enough money to pay this electric bill. I've had lights for a month. We get to have them for another month. When I pay the house, I'm tell Marie, we've got a place to live for another month. When I get the bill, it's like, oh man, this is due. But if I'm rejoicing in the Lord, God, thank you for my job. Thank you for uh, blessing me so that I can pay my house note. Thank you for giving me the ability to do this job in a way that my co-workers notice that I'm a hard worker and I can glorify your name through my job. Thank you, Lord, for this banana split. And don't ever get me that one made out of yogurt. Rejoice in the Lord. Because when we rejoice in the Lord, then when we run into the dogs, 
He says, beware of the dogs. Now that's not very politically correct. If I were to go into Fairview and say, bunch of y'all in here are a bunch of dogs, next thing you know, I'd be on Channel 4. Intolerant preacher goes crazy in Fairview. That's not politically correct. But Paul meant what he said. Paul's an inspired apostle. God put this in his word. These people that want us to trust and rejoice in things besides Jesus Christ, they're dogs. They will kill your joy. They will kill what happiness you have in Jesus Christ if you let them. He says, be careful of the dogs. And what I want you to do this morning is to rejoice. Rejoice in Jesus because that's enough. That's all you need. But not only does he say beware of the dogs, he also says beware of evil workers. Verse 2, beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers. Well, why are they evil? They're evil because they insist that we only receive God's grace by performing some kind of external ritual. We, we need something besides Jesus. Oh, Jesus is good, but we better add something to it. Jesus is good, so we better have all these rules and regulations that we need. Did you know that Paul's ministry, his entire ministry was a direct refutation of this idea. Paul's entire ministry could be summed up, Jesus is enough. The whole book of Galatians talks about folks who are trying to add the old law back to Christianity. These Galatian Christians had become, uh, they followed Christ, they'd become Christ followers, and they were thinking about going back into Judaism, back to where they came from. And Paul calls these people evil workers. He wants the Philippian brethren to understand that they are not of God. They would understand that phrase dogs because for years the Jews had called the Gentiles dogs and they would understand what Paul meant by that. Now they were wrong in calling the Gentiles dogs but when Paul uses it, Paul uses that word number one to get their attention but also to get them to understand that this is not of God. This is as foreign from God as, as you could possibly be. It's evil. It's evil working. Look at Romans chapter 3. Keep your finger in Philippians, but go back to Romans chapter 3. And we're going to start reading at verse 19. Now we know that what things so that we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world they become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh justified in his sight. We can't be justified, and that's in Romans 3.19, we can't be justified by the flesh. We can't be justified by external things. How are we justified? Look at verse 24. Being freely justified by his grace, through the redemption that is in who? Jesus. Christ, Jesus. Christ Jesus. We can't be saved by external things. External things don't get us saved. 
external law keeping, rule keeping, that takes our focus off of Jesus Christ and it puts it somewhere else. Now understand something. I'm not saying that it's not important to believe. And it's not important to obey. Christians, we're called to obedience. We're called to be holy. We're called to be like Christ. We're called to be like God. It's important for us to be obedient. But let me tell you what. Obedience does not save us. Rule keeping does not save us. We obey because we're saved. We don't obey to get saved. We, 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 we trust Jesus as our Savior. The Holy Spirit convicts us that we're a sinner. We trust the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on the cross. And all that's by grace. Even our ability to understand that we're a sinner comes by the grace of God. God saves us. And as a result of being saved by God's grace, the old person that's in us is killed, die. We die. Jesus Christ is put in that person's place. And as we live our lives, we start being obedient because we're living for Christ now. We're living for God now. We're obedient because we're saved, not to get saved. Far too many Christians, their message of Christianity is, well, just do your best and God will do the rest. Or it is, God helps those who help themselves. Or maybe they say, well, if I start it, maybe God will finish it. The good news of the gospel is not do your best. You know what the good news of the gospel is? And this may sound crazy. The good news of the gospel is your best is never good enough. Have you ever thought about that? No matter how good you are, your best won't get you saved. What if God told us in Scripture, you humans, in order for you to be able to, save, uh, to be saved, you're going to have to jump to the moon. Can you jump to the moon? I can't. You know what? Michael Jordan can jump closer to the moon than I can. You know, Michael Jordan... They said one time he jumped like 15 feet. When he jumped up, his feet were like 15 feet. It was just incredible the way he got that running jump. When I jump, it may be like two centimeters. <laughs> but you know what? Neither one of us can jump to the moon, right? So if we had to jump to the moon to get saved, we're out of, we're, we're out of luck. We can't jump to the moon. Well, do you know what you have to do to be in relationship with God? Be perfect. God is perfect. God is holy. One sin, and we're out. All Adam and Eve did is eat the fruit. They had one sin. Now, there's lots of sins mixed up in that, and we could get into that deeply. But all they did is eat that fruit. But it separated them from God. Because God can't be where sin is. When I say our best is not good enough, 
I'm not saying we don't need to not live the best we can. We do. But we do not need to depend upon ourselves for our salvation. And let me tell you what, that's good news. You say, well, why is that good news? Hang on to that. We'll, we'll get to it here in just a little bit as we go further. But going back to Philippians, Paul says, beware of the dogs, beware of workers, of evil workers, and then he says, beware of, the King James uses the word concision. Uh, some other translators say mutilators of the flesh. And by concision, what they're talking about are those people that believe in circumcision. And that's why Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh. These people basically were teaching that salvation is not just a matter of faith, it's also a matter of flesh. You've got to be circumcised to be saved. You've got to be circumcised to be part of Jesus Christ, to be part of his family. But you know what? The problem of adding to Jesus for salvation, where does it stop? Somebody says, well, you've got to add circumcision. Well, not only do you have to add circumcision, you've got to add sacrifices. Well, not only do you have to add sacrifices, you've got to add baptism. And not only do you have to add baptism, but you've got to wear yellow shirts. And not only do you have to wear yellow shirts, you have to wear brown hats. And not only do you have to wear yellow shirts and brown hats, but you have to wear brown shoes. And they have to be leather because God doesn't like vinyl. See what happens when you start adding to Jesus? Where do you stop? Paul says, beware of these folks. And as a matter of fact, look what Paul says about it in first or 2 Timothy rather, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And 17. 15, 16, and 17. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun feign and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Now watch verse 17. And their word will eat as doth a canker. This word canker in King James can also be translated gangrene. In other words, these babblings and this trying to, this is important and that's important. It grows and it festers. And it's just like gangrene. Have you ever seen pictures of somebody's foot that had gangrene? You know, that just turns totally black? Well, the only way to save a person's life once gangrene is set up in the body is to cut off those infected body parts. Otherwise, the infection will spread to the whole body and kill them. That's what this kind of religion will do as well. This kind of religion that adds to Jesus Christ, it keeps on adding and keeps on adding and keeps on adding to the point where there's no joy, there's no happiness, the whole church becomes infected, and then it becomes dead. Beware of these people. Now, 21st century Christianity is at a crossroads. It's a crossroads that's been fought in every century. And that crossroads is, are we saved in Christ alone? Or is it Christ plus something else? Now, today it isn't circumcision. 
Unless you're a Jew, I don't know of anybody else that says you've got to be circumcised. Christians aren't saying you've got to be circumcised. But, today there are Christians that say you've got to be baptized in water to be saved. There are Christians that say you have to have a certain sign on our yard to be saved. The Christians that say that if you're a man, if that ta- if your hair touches the top of your ear, you better cut it off or you won't be saved. Or if you're a woman, you better not cut your hair. Or you better not do this, or you better not do that. Or if you don't do this, you're not going to be saved if you don't. Hear me. Either we're saved in Jesus alone, and that's enough. Or this Bible is false. Because my Bible teaches me that Jesus Christ plus nothing equals everything. And Jesus Christ plus anything else equals a false gospel. So Paul first says rejoice in the Lord. Let that be the foundation of of your salvation. Then he says, you beware. You beware of the dogs. You beware of evil workers. You beware of mutilators of the flesh. And all that can be summed up in, you watch out, you beware of people that are trying to get you to add to Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, that's enough. Now, I said we get through six verses this morning. I told a story. We're going to get through three. Because <laughs> we're going to stop. Because I want to get into verse three. Paul gives us two commands here in, in verse two. Then he gives an explanation about talking about, he says, these people think they're the true circumcision. They think they're of God because they're teaching all these things that you have to do to be a real Christian. He says, believing in Jesus alone You're the true circumcision. You're the real saved people. And what that looks like. And we'll talk about that next week. Uh, This is too important to rush over. I want us to understand, every one of us sitting here, if someone asks you today, why are you saved? Your answer is the blood of Jesus Christ. If they ask you, why are you so happy? Why are you rejoicing? Because Jesus is my Savior. I know where I'm going. Let me encourage you this week. If you get one of those crazy emails that tells you you need to do 47 jobs, rejoice in the Lord that He's put you in a place you can glorify His name and do those 47 jobs to His praise and His glory. When you've got them kids on your school bus or in your classroom this week, if you get to have them on your school bus and in your classroom, this week, instead of talking about how crazy they are and the fact they drive you nuts, rejoice in the Lord that you have a chance to be the Lord's example in front of them. That may be the only godly example they see all day long. You ever thought about that? If you go to the doctor this week and the doctor tells you you're sick, you know what? Even if you die, you're going to heaven, right? Rejoice in the Lord. And this is an old saying, but when life throws you lemons, what do we do? 
Make lemonade. You know how we do that? By rejoicing in the Lord. Where is your faith and your hope and your trust? Not where, but in whom is your faith and your hope and your trust resting this morning? If it's anything besides Jesus Christ, it's not going to get you where you want to go. Jesus Christ is enough. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. Jesus Christ came to die for our sins so that we could be saved and have a relationship with Jesus Christ in eternity. Do you need to get into God's will this morning? Maybe by trusting Jesus as your Savior for the first time. Maybe you put your faith somewhere else. Maybe your confidence is in the flesh, and we'll talk about that next week. If your confidence is in anything besides Jesus, it's going to let you down. What do you need to do to get back in Christ's will this morning? What's the Holy Spirit telling you you need to do? Let's bow. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us this message that Jesus is enough. And thank you for reminding us we do need to rejoice in the Lord and to watch out for people that tell us we need more than Jesus Christ. Father, sometimes it's so simple it sounds too good to be true. But Father, I thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. I thank you for the good news of the fact that me or anyone else here can put our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and be saved. Father, I pray for those of us this morning that are in this audience. I pray that the Holy Spirit would examine our hearts, show us and teach us those things we need to know, convict us of those things we need to change, and guide us in the way that we should go. In Jesus' name, amen. Miss Mary, you don't need to get up. We'll just sing just as I am. Okay. Everybody knows that song?